This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? dramatic or like sort of understated or what this is a land that prays for a hero the humor of the entire situation suddenly gave way to a run for survival you are listening to greening the apocalypse on triple r 102.7 fm Welcome, welcome, welcome to Greening the Apocalypse, Triple R's weekly pass through the heart of darkness into catharsis. Thanks, Vaughn, for the last three hours of Double Bounce. <laughs> um, I'm out of grub, a bit lonely in the studio, just you and me, Jed McCartney, how are you? I'm um, well, thanks. Yeah, it is a bit lonely. Yeah. Normally we'd have another body there that we could bounce stuff off. We uh, are discussing that very topic though tonight. Last week we stayed around after the show and you, myself and Kate had a good chat. Yes. Yeah. With a chap over in the uh, world of Skype over in the UK. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I should introduce him. Do you have anything, I don't know, of genial background information that you would like to add in a (laughs) light-hearted manner beforehand no no only that um i kept thinking of what the topic was today and i could only think that uh, it was community hugging <laughs> that does come up it was pretty cool actually um yeah so so the fellow's name is julian abel and he's behind this uh one of the people behind a project called compassionate from and from is a town in somerset in the uk and he's going to introduce himself actually a little bit in the interview. Kate organised it. Um, it was pretty interesting stuff. George Monbiot, the famous Guardian columnist, wrote about it in, um, in an article last month. And I might just read the intro to, to what he wrote. He said, It could, if the results stand up, be one of the most dramatic medical breakthroughs of recent decades. It could transform treatment regimes, save lives, save health services a fortune. Is it a drug? Is it a device? A surgical procedure? No, it's a newfangled invention called community. This week, the results from a trial in the Somerset town of Frome are published informally in the magazine Resurgence and Ecologist. And he makes a note that, um, stepping out of my Mombio voice for a second, um, that it is also being reviewed in a, in a peer-reviewed journal but that hasn't come out yet. We should be cautious about embracing the data before it is published in the academic press and must always avoid treating correlation as causation. But this shouldn't stop us from feeling a shiver of excitement about the implications if the figures turn out to be robust and the experiment can be replicated. And it was about this very topic that we talk, that we spoke to Julian Abel. Let's hit that, Jed. Welcome, Julian Abel. We're absolutely delighted to have you here, all the way from Cornwall in the UK. So Julian Abel is Director of Compassionate Communities UK and a consultant in palliative care. So welcome to Greening the Apocalypse, Julian. Well, thank you for having me on. I'm delighted to be here. And we're very delighted to have you. So 
Um, I read an, an article about the work that you've been doing in Frome and got very excited when I tweeted you to see if you'd come onto the show and you said yes. So the article was about how to... Interesting ways of dealing with this phenomenon, phenomenon of loneliness that we're experiencing at the moment. Um, so maybe we can start there. Let's talk about what's happening. Why, why is loneliness becoming an issue? I mean, I think that loneliness is a, a fundamental to human health. And, and with increasing loneliness, we see that health outcomes deteriorate. And so much so, we are now caught in a vicious circle where, where people feel alone. Even, even amongst family and friends, they can feel alone. And, and uh, this results in increased usage of health services. And actually, people are, are making contact with health services just to have human contact. And so when we have applied uh, an initiative which deals with the central issue about uh, communities and how we treat each other, what we saw, what we found was that there was a significant drop in hospital admissions. So hospital admissions, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but certainly in the UK, are the biggest single problem that faces the NHS at the moment. Mm. We are overwhelmed with an influx of increase in, in emergency admissions to hospital. And in the UK, there's been a 25% increase in the last 10 years. And, and it's absolutely crippling our ability to run safe, efficient hospitals. So it's all really come to light as a consequence of, of the project that we got in place in Froome. So do you think that we're lonelier than, than we used to be? I think we are. I mean, I think that just on a very simple level, um, you know, and I'm, I'm getting on a bit, so I could, it's easy for me to say back in the day, you know, but... Um, but certainly when I was a kid growing up in London, people would look out for each other. People would, people would neighbours talk to each other and you, have a, uh, you had more of a friendly community spirit. And, and now I think that people don't have that very simple human contact and uh, that very simple care and concern. And I think that it's, it's exacerbated by social media. So one of the things... Uh, that, uh, that we know and we've known for years is that face-to-face -face contact is a, a part of primate evolution and it has a profound impact on, on health. In fact, if you look at longevity, the, the single biggest factor which increases longevity is face-to-face -face contact social relationships. What we see is, you know, even with, with electronic media is increasing isolation. And, and even our children are losing the skills of how to relate to each other directly. And it's a, it's a scary proposition, to be honest, uh, thinking about actually a time where we need increasing social contact, that actually we, we have loads of stuff in place which is decreasing it. Yeah. So is it, is it so, just social... Is social media just the um, bitter cherry on the loneliness cake is this a trend that goes back further oh yeah definitely and 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 i think that the increased hospital admissions is just a manifestation of it you know over the last 10 years or so and and the the trend has been steadily increasing it's not a, a, a sudden jump and uh, so i think that the it's a it's a the kind of direction our our culture is going and 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 dare i say it that the 
that the media, I'm not sure, always helps because there's so much fearful news on the media that actually doesn't doesn't chime with often our own experience and and tends to make people more frightened and more increasingly isolated. And we've also got this phenomenon of communities not necessarily being geographical. So we might be belong to a number of different communities, online communities or communities that exist at work or something, but there's a loss of that neighbourhood connection and that kind of daily face-to-face casual interaction. I think that's right. I mean, I, I've been using... Um uh, software such as Skype and, and um, Zoom recently, much more in my uh, appointments and communications, not clinical ones, but talking to people. And I think that the face-to-face stuff uh, that you can have using the voice over internet protocols are better. They're not the same as, as direct contact, but we're so sensitive to body language, facial expressions and all of that, that that it's better that way and I, I even think that it's possible to to have at least some kind of face-to-face contact which is better than none but that our neighborhoods you know on the on a simple level uh, we don't communicate with each other so much we you know shopping is an interesting one I mean again back in the day you know where supermarkets weren't overrunning the place you would shop in the local local town or village or wherever, and you see people on a regular basis and and you talk to people. Hmm. And even those informal chats that you might have with people when you just come across them can be life-enhancing. You feel like, oh, that was a really nice chat. I I just had a nice time with that person. That that feels good and makes me feel secure as a human being. Yeah. So what's your view of why communities are important and why connection is important? I mean, uh, it, it depends very much how you look at it. But uh, so, so, so one of the things that that I do, and one of the reasons for me moving down to Cornwall is I surf, and I, and I, you know, I know you've got great surf down down where you are. And one of the one of the experiences that you know that I invariably have when I go surfing is you sit and chat to someone, and you just think, what a nice bloke, and and you think about those informal just conversations that you have with people and it kind of connects you to the world and and then you can kind of extend that principle and think about you know there might be um community groups that you attend and it it doesn't matter what they are but uh, i heard one recently um a friend of mine who goes to a stitch and bitch group and that sounds great you know that's like you actually get stuff off your chest but you can also think about it uh, from the perspective of what are the biochemical events that happen during these conversations? And, and there is a lot of evidence to show that the, the type of hormones that are released uh, during these kinds of interactions are actually health-giving hormones. They're the opposite of stress hormones. I might, and it involves things like prolactin and oxytocin and all of those things. I might just read a quote out from one of the articles that I read about your project, which we'll come on to talking about next Um, It says that in the evolutionary past, social isolation exposed us to a higher risk of predation and sickness. So the immune system appears to have evolved to listen to the social environment. 
ramping up inflammation when we become isolated in the hope of protecting us against wounding and disease. In other words, isolation causes inflammation and inflammation can cause further isolation and depression. I think that's exactly right. Uh, one of the primary experiences of ill health, and it doesn't matter whether it's physical or mental, is that you have increasing fatigue, decreasing mobility, increasing social isolation, and loss of a sense of purpose and meaning in life. You wonder why you're on the earth at all. Oh. And, and so I think that this is a, you know, this is not just human evolution, it's primate evolution. It's 60 million years of, of evolution behind all of this. And there's a lot of interesting work about uh, why uh, social interactions might be uh, beneficial for health. And, and some of them are, are, you know, some of them are biochemical, some of them are behavioral. You know, if you if you have an illness and you have a good circle of friends who can help you out, they might just on a very practical level give you support. They might also actually give you advice about where to go to access the best health care. There's all kinds of things that happen. Mm. They might drop in, give you some shopping so that you've got fresh food, all which have an impact on your health outcomes. And if they, were, so it's if, not, if they gave you a, yeah. a cuddle, does that have a <laughs> biophysical response? As long as long as the cuddle is something that's wanted. <laughs> you, you did mention that people can feel loneliness in you know with their family. So, w what is it about the quality of the interaction that's important? That's a really interesting one. It's a great question. So, one of the things that that one part of our project that we developed is how do you build people's social networks? How do you how do you enhance the naturally occurring networks? And and we've kind of got ourselves into a corner where, where we know that at the time where people are unwell, the people around are willing to help. And when you talk to carers, uh, you know, carers say, it's not a burden. I'm caring for the, pers the person I love. It's a privilege. Mm. It's a privilege to be part of it. Uh, yet at the same time, that people don't want to reach out for help because they don't want to be a burden. And, and there's a whole host of other reasons why we've lost the skills of, of building these and, and enhancing these naturally occurring networks. So it's, it's a, an unfortunate series of events, really. And, and I think that we, that as a culture, we need to find ways of addressing these issues directly. And, and you know, health is a great excuse, you know, that, that uh, actually we can demonstrate clear outcomes of improvement when we do that, but it's not the only reason for doing it. We we should be doing it because we want to live in a better world. You know, we want we want our children and our children's children to to live in a better world than we live in now. It's hard to disagree with that, I guess. Absolutely. <laughs> um, we well, are on Green the Apocalypse on Three Triple R. As uh, you've been listening to Julian Abel talking about Compassionate From, he's the director of Compassionate Communities UK. He's actually just been talking a little bit about loneliness in general but when we come back he's going to delve into what they're actually doing and what the surprising medical outcomes of fighting loneliness were this is a podcast from 3 triple r 102.7 fm in melbourne truly independent community radio i was just reflecting that uh quite a few years ago we used to uh, have isolation prisons and we've got one down at port arthur and uh, where we purposely isolated people for um, most of their days. Yeah. And Would you rather be surrounded by, you know, society's hardest, toughest, violent criminals or be in an isolation cell and, and yeah. most people would prefer the former? 
Yeah, because yeah. most of them went crazy when they were isolated. Yeah. So, yeah, and now we, um, we're almost doing it again in society, although not in a conscious manner. Hmm. I, the, the point you make is exactly right. You know, we have to remember that solitary confinement is a form of torture. And the opposite of that actually has a direct impact on health and happiness. I just I find it absolutely amazing that there's the physical manifestation of loneliness and it can be dealt with. And I think it might be now time for you to tell us about what happened in Frome. Tell us about your project. OK, so um, the, the Froome project was started by uh, a, a, an innovative and clear thinking GP called Helen Kingston who knew that she had to do something different, that, that uh, some practices in Froome, which is a, a market town in Somerset of about 30,000 people, some of the GP practices uh, merged together. And uh, it wasn't possible to appoint all the GPs that were necessary. And so and Helen was aware that trying to meet everyone's problems just using medicines wasn't going to work. So she employed... Uh, a fantastic community development worker called Jenny Hartnell. And between them, they, they dreamed up this project where they actually drew together all the community resources, employed people, uh, community development workers, to work one-to-one with people on goal setting and, and, uh, and care planning. And uh, the one-to-one work would go on for, goes on for between one and six sessions to help people achieve their goals. And at the same time, the GP practice became very organised in making sure that the people who most needed this kind of support got it. So, for example, uh, one of the places where you can do that are when people are discharged from hospital, there's a a letter that comes from the hospital to say your patient's been in hospital and this is what happened to them. And by and large, even when things go well in hospital, the experience is an unpleasant one. And so people are quite strongly motivated at that time to change, to make changes to their Uh, their lifestyle so every person who's discharged from hospital gets a phone call and that phone call goes through all the kind of routine things you know are you managing you coping do you need blood tests all of that kind of stuff and at the same time starts to bring the conversation around to how are things in general you know do you need help and support and and what about coming into the surgery or somebody will come out to you and have a one-to-one conversation with you and then that one-to-one conversation is based around What's important to you? What are the things that are, are most troubling you? And if people are isolated, for sure, they'll say it. And because it's been a, an extensive mapping process that's gone on in Froome, then we know about all the community groups that are out there, whether it's doesn't matter, sports clubs, knitting groups, you know, whatever it is, doesn't matter. It could be absolutely anything. And we also know of uh, volunteer groups who will come, uh, which are befriending schemes. People will come into the homes and 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 build friendships and relationships so it's a a way of connecting people uh, of finding out what their goals are and helping them them achieve it and the social relationships that happen as a consequence of this uh, are the things that improve health in a wide variety of ways so to give you an example and um, that you might have there was one example of a 93 year old woman who lived on the fourth floor of a block of flats and, and she was obviously old and frail and isolated, even though she had a family who lived locally. And the thing that she, what was important to her was to get down to the choir, which was on the ground floor, but she needed help to get downstairs. So when you find that out, then that's quite easy to organise. And you think about 
the things that happen when somebody joins a choir? Well, the first thing is they have to make it downstairs so that you automatically increase their mobility, which which has a health outcome. The second thing is that they start to meet with other people, that they build social relationships. And we know that social relationships is the strongest preventative medicine we have, more than giving up smoking, more than diet, exercise, more than anything else. It has a, the biggest impact on, on improving longevity, decreasing mortality, and uh, all, of those, all of those markers of health. And then the third thing is that they, they participate in the communal activity of singing, which we know has health benefits as well. So even as finding out a simple thing like I would like to get down to the choir might address a whole variety of different issues at the same time. And you can see why that, that begins to have a profound impact on health. And that if the GP surgery is very organized about identifying those people in need of support, then, then you can see how you begin to change the health outcomes. And I will add one other thing to this, which is a, a marker of the project, is that the, there is a, um, a web-based uh, platform of all the community information, which which you can look at yourself in, in there in Australia. So all you need to do is look up Health Connections Mendit, which is a community development service in Froome. And you've got this extensive list of resources, but because you've got a, a web-based list, it means anyone can access it. So what they did in Froome, and this is really a marker of the imagination of uh, Jenny Hartnell and Helen Kingston, is that they, they thought what a good thing to do would be to train people to be community connectors. And these are people who can access the, the uh, web-based resource, the Health Connections Mendit website, and, and signpost people onto resources that the GP might do or the community development service. And they've trained 500, over 500 community connectors. And on average, each community connector has 20 signposting conversations a year. Well, so what's a signposting conversation? So, so they may come across somebody who has a problem and they go, oh, do you know, I think I could help you with that one because I can link you to this resource of things that are going on in the community. Gotcha. Is that, okay, good. Uh, so if you've, each one of those 500 community connectors has 20 signposting conversations a year, that's 10,000 signposting conversations a year yeah. in a town of 30,000 people. Yeah, it's you know, pretty suddenly, impressive. So it's, it's amazing. It is amazing. <laughs> so the Compassionate From project, to kind of summarise, it's got four key areas of action. One is mapping all of the existing community resources, so creating this directory that you can look at online. Um, the second is a formation of a network of willing volunteers. So you just talked about those, the community connectors who have these conversations and help link people to all the stuff that's going on. Um, then there's a formation of groups requested by members of the community to meet their identified needs. And then there's a whole load of one-to-one -one support relationships going on through liaisons with the health connectors. So there's, it's that's, not just one thing. There's a heap of different things going on. It, and, and that's combined with um, the changes that have taken place in the GP surgery, which are all around finding, finding different conversations and making sure that you identify the, the people, to, the right people who need the support. So it's not just the community development, the compassionate communities alone. 
it's the combination with healthcare that's made all the difference. Yeah. And did it work? I mean, it's fantastic. And you, and you hear the individual stories and, uh, you know, the, the na- individual narratives are heartwarming. And at the same time, the intervention has reduced emergency admissions compared to the rest of Somerset by 30%. And I think that, you know, you have to remember that there are no interventions ever that have reduced emergency admissions across a population. So that what we're looking at is essentially a new era of medicine in which we we make compassionate communities a routine part of our clinical conversation, that our clinical therapeutics includes compassionate communities. And the size of the impact is, is so large that it's impossible to ignore. You know, we're essentially saying that 30% of the people who are currently in hospital are not there because they need more or better medication. It's because they are disconnected from their communities and have lost a sense of meaning and value in their life. So it, it works profoundly. And we're talking about it as a new era of medicine. You are on Greening the Apocalypse on 3RRR and you're listening to the interview Kate and Jed and I Adam Grubb did last week with Julian Abel, who is talking about compassionate Froom. I think he pronounced it actually, not Froom, but a project where they're getting remarkable drop in uh, hospital rates. Yeah, certainly the stuff he was just talking about with you know lowering emergency admissions is yeah. that's pretty am- pretty amazing, incredible. You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, Three Triple R, one hundred two point seven in Melbourne. To just add a little bit of detail to that, there's a really nice um, statement in one of the articles talking about this loss of connection and the loss of networks and such diminished circumstances occur because in a society dominated by the pressure of getting and spending, we have lost touch with an essential ingredient of what it means to be human, that active quality of compassion, which motivates us to create nourishing and supportive patterns of community life. I, you know that that was written by George Monbiot, and and I think he was he was spot on with that. I think that expresses it really precisely. You know that that we are constantly sold the message of accumulation of wealth and goods, but that accumulation of wealth and goods does not lead to happiness and health. And that while we have been devoting our efforts to that, we have taken our eye off the impact of simple human kindness of simple care and compassion and when we participate in giving that care and compassion we really know that we've done something right and when we're on the receiving end of it we really appreciate it particularly when we're feeling vulnerable and isolated so i you know it was a it was an excellent article from george and and i'm grateful for him for highlighting it so I have to ask, you know, Somerset's a pretty unique place and I think Frome is unique within Somerset. You've got the, well, quoting again from George Monbiot's article, Frome is a remarkable place run by an independent town council famous for its democratic innovation. There's a buzz of sociability, a sense of common purpose and a creative, exciting atmosphere. I was just Googling houses in Frome because I was like, it sounds rad, I want to live there. <laughs> but do you think... <laughs> Do you think that your the Compassionate Communities project was particularly successful because it was child and from? No, I, I, maybe it was a fertile environment to start. But I think that the 
all of the components that we're talking about have been applied in different places everywhere. And I'm vice president of an organization called Public Health Palliative Care International. And uh, we've been taking forward the compassionate communities approach for, for a number of years. And there are examples of from all over the world of, of where this works. And in some places which are resource poor, you don't have any choice apart from building a community development program. So the principles are the same wherever. And we know it works irrespective of wherever you are, you know, that you can do community development in extremely wealth, wealthy communities and you can do them in highly deprived communities. And so the principles are applicable everywhere. And, and we're participating in a wider rollout across the Mendip area of Somerset and we've already started to see some gains in uh, the similar kind of outcomes that we've been achieving in Froome. So uh, I think this is a general principle of uh, what's applicable. And, and I would say that that community spirit is present everywhere and it's about how much we tap into it. Um, Adam and I were having a little chat earlier about, it's too good to be true. Has it been peer reviewed? Is this project... And the data that we talked about or that you mentioned earlier, what was it? 17% reduction in uh, accident and emergency? Yeah. Um, uh, so that's, that actually happened. It seems completely remarkable. So we've, we've done the, the data analysis from, on this and it's with large numbers of people and the levels of significance is extremely high. Mm. And it's under... Uh, under peer review at the moment in uh, medical journal uh, but I will tell you a story behind that we submitted it to another medical journal and and even though the stats are really clear uh, the review came back saying the results are implausible uh, suggesting that we'd made them up and um, and it's quite funny really because when you you know when, when I talk to, to colleagues about it it's a bit like you've pulled a white rabbit out of a hat they kind of go, well, how do you make that happen? You know, you just can't understand it. And because what we're talking about is a new domain in medicine of compassionate communities. And, and we know from for, for decades now that social relationships have a, an enormous impact on health. And when you start to describe it in the context of social relationships and, and compassionate communities, it begins to make much more sense. And I think that what we're engaged in is a process of, of saying to our colleagues, look, you know, this is a fundamental part of who we are. It's bound to have an impact on health. And when you bring this into routine clinical practice, it is understandable. And we've just found a way of doing that. And, you know, that at some point the article will get published and people will be able to scrutinise the data. But by that time, you know, we will have moved on and demonstrated the uh, rollout in other areas. And and we've got interest from all over the world, to be honest, in in uh, uh, in this project because it it answers a fundamental problem particularly in the western world of increased usage of hospital beds through emergency admissions which are overwhelming the capacity of hospitals to, to deliver safe care it's quite remarkable and what can we learn from this project about the way that we design communities and the way that we you know, the future, the way that we move on from here. If you were to take a couple of, you know, learnings, what would we do differently? So I think that the, um, I think that gathering together the, the resources onto a website, which everyone can access, is, is really helpful. But I would take it down to an individual level. You know, that if we've got, if we've got neighbours, friends, work colleagues who are going through difficult times, 
don't just say, is there anything I can do to help? Say, I'm going to help you whether you like it or not. <laughs> and what is it you want me to do? Unless it's and just, unwanted cuddling. <laughs> uh, cuddling, taking people out for a drink, inquiring, inquiring about how they're feeling and, you know, whatever. You could go around, drop some biscuits around to them, bake a cake, drop a meal around, doesn't matter. It's, it's down to these simple acts of human kindness that make a difference. And let's all of us make sure that we're doing it for the people around us. It, it really does come down to those that simple acts of kindness and compassion and, and that we need to find ways of, of making this more universal. And so it's up to each and every one of us to take that responsibility and, and be kind to the people around us. Fantastic. Julian, I think we'll perfect way to end the interview. So thank you very much for your time. It was enlightening, a really exciting project. Um, and thank you so much for spending the time talking to us all the way from Cornwall, UK. Well, I'm delighted that you asked and I'm very, very happy to have the chance to talk to you. So thank you. Before you go, just tell us about your colleagues in Melbourne. Right. So, uh, uh, in fact, the start of uh, the whole Compassionate Community program uh, happened in Melbourne. And uh, Alan Kelly here, who's, who's now living in the UK, who's uh, became Professor of Palliative Care there and has taken the, the public health approach to end of life care and palliative care worldwide. But the, even after uh, Alan Kelly here left, you know, the work has been continued by Bruce Rumbold and, and that at La Trobe University and they have got some fantastic innovative programs going across the whole of Victoria uh, which which uh, is looking at compassionate communities and around end of life but but it's extending way beyond that as well and and broadening out not just a compassionate community program but a public health program and and you'll find that there are there are initiatives going on all over the place and and I would completely encourage you to get involved and really uh, uh, it's really a well-organized well-thought-out program that I'm sure will have great outcomes. That was Julian Abel, Director of Compassionate Communities UK and he was mostly talking about the project Compassionate Froom. It was good to end on a note to hear that there is some local practitioners happening. Yeah, good to see some work going on here because I'm a great sort of fan of this with the whole community thing. I think uh, we've moved a bit too far away in a lot of cases. I'm Mm. very lucky to live in a a good street where there's a good feel of community and um, I think it's really important. So, uh, yeah. Mm. How's your health? How's my health? <laughs> Good. I'm not getting enough hugs. Though. You know, I've got to just. <laughs> oh, we can fix that. I've got to hang out on the street more. You know. <laughs> I don't know if that's the place to solicit them, <laughs> but we can take care of it. <laughs> um, the, the, the nonas all want to hug the little boy. They don't want to. Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Charlie gets them, huh? Yeah. All right. Yeah, so I don't the, the, like like we said, there were some big numbers there. Like he's talked about hospital admissions or emergency admissions dropping by thirty percent, at least compared to the rest of Somerset. So I think, uh, so de- at least yeah, relatively they dropped dropped a ton. Yeah. Um, 
And those figures are currently being peer-reviewed. I'm sure there's some, I'm not doubting those, but one thing I did find interesting when I was Googling this, I was actually trying to find loneliness rates in Australia because you hear about uh, this study from the US all the time where people say that they, in 1985, they used on average have three close confidants and now we only have one. Um, but the article that I found reading about it was called Is Loneliness a Health Epidemic? And that was from the New York Times last month by Eric Kleinberg. And he actually said that that particular study has been discredited and one of the authors says, I no longer think it's reliable. And he, he says, uh, you know, there's all these possible reasons why we might be suffering loneliness and our guest... Tonight, Julian talked about social media, making, you know, people spending more time online, less face to face. And he also talks about uh, that people are living alone more, aging alone. Neoliberal, this is the New York Times article says, neoliberal social policies have turned workers into precarious free agents. And when jobs disappear, things fall apart fast. Labor unions, civic associations, neighborhood associations, religious groups and other traditional sources of social solidarity are in steady decline. Increasingly, we all feel that we're on our, on our own, on our own. But he says despite these two trends of social media and, you know, the, the, the ruthlessness of the market driving us apart or whatever it is, um, that the actual statistics aren't showing in the US anyway a dramatic rise in loneliness. It's been pretty steady um, by most accounts. But that's not to say that it's not an issue that needs confronting and fighting. And if you compared our lifestyle to like tribal societies or just, you know, village, mm. existing village societies or Australian country town societies, especially where you're surrounded by old, you know, long-term family friends and family, we are probably, you know, pretty isolated. Yeah. And a lot of the people we talk to are trying to rekindle that sense of community, aren't they? So, it, I mean, are we more lonely? Um, it, probably the, the point is, does that matter whether we're more lonely or not if we can do stuff that stops people having to go to emergency departments for whatever reason, then it's probably a good thing and, uh, you know, hopefully... Yeah, we're, we're not at... We might not be radically more lonely than before but if if the stats are true a lot of people are at a point where it's it's affecting their health mm. be it as he says because they're not getting enough support which keeps them out of hospital just um friends and relations or just the the care that is just just a deep human need the only place they're finding it is in the hospital. Yeah. yeah. As I was saying before, I've had about three conversations this week yeah. about people who are feeling less connected with the community and maybe I've noticed those more because we, you know, had this topic yeah. coming up um, or, you know, maybe it's just coincidental that it's happened this week. But I, I certainly think there's, um, there's a real real need for it and I think there's uh, some real value in that whole thing about, you know, reaching out to people, as he says, bake a cake, you know, whatever and say hello to them and how you're going and, you know, the old are you okay thing. Yeah. Well, I hope to our listeners you're not feeling lonely. Um, Jed's willing to bake you a cake <laughs> if you are. Get in touch. <laughs> if you're um, brave enough to eat it. <laughs> 
This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.